Heavenly Father, we agree with the Apostle who said to our Lord Jesus, where else do we have to go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. May the Holy Spirit open our minds and hearts and change our lives. Amen. I was teased as we were walking in. The Presbyterian Church is just down the block. I feel a little bit like the black sheep this morning. Virginia and I have very much enjoyed becoming aware of the Advent and its people and understanding the vitality of Christ's presence in your midst. So it's really a privilege and an honor to become involved with this household of faith, this big church that desires to really please and honor the Lord. You've heard people joke about a come-to-Jesus moment. That phrase showed up in a New York Times article this week from a reporter that was on the Royal Caribbean's Anthem of the Seas that was struck by that Category 5 hurricane force winds on February 7th, earlier this month. The reporter was just going to write a travel piece, but he wrote an almost titanic piece. He was going to put a goodbye note in a Ziploc bag and hope that someday it would be found on some shore. Of course, all 6,000 people, along with himself, were not titanic But he took a picture of his stateroom before he left to record that almost Jesus moment. And of course, he's using it euphemistically. Kind of a life or death type situation. I would like to use it literally. We do need a life-changing come-to-Jesus experience. Not just a moment, but the experience. This passage in Luke 13 is about repentance. And repentance isn't just about being sorry for your sins or regretting or apologizing. Repentance is the great turn. A turn that one would only make through an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 9, which is a pivotal point in the Gospel's narrative... We're told that Jesus, knowing that he was going to ascend to heaven, set his face resolutely to Jerusalem. It's a kind of turning point for Jesus. And without that turning point, we wouldn't have the possibility of our turning point. Now, what's interesting, if you read the Lucan dialogue, there is an intensity about Jesus that we often sort of mellow out. There is a boldness, a stridency, an urgency, a prophetic angst that comes through. When someone comes up and says, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When he sends out the 72, he says, Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. The Jesus we often imagine, and sometimes the Jesus I preach would never have been crucified. Jesus the sage, Jesus the religious genius, 
Jesus, the respectable, calm-spoken, easy-to-listen-to Jesus, would never have been crucified. At Capernaum, he says, will you be lifted up to the heavens? As if he's speaking to the town. Ah, He says, no, you're going down. You're going down to hell. Even Jesus' joy seems to be kind of a defiant joy. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. At another point, he says, this is a wicked generation. You're going to get no other sign than the sign of Jonah. And he really does a number on the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Bible scholars of the day. He calls them frauds to their face. And then in the tradition of Isaiah, he pronounces woes to them. At one point, Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should be afraid Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And, and you, how do you get the tone here when Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism that I have to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? I tell you, no, I came to bring division. Now, that's not the Jesus I'm all that familiar with. Luke's Jesus moving toward Jerusalem makes admiration kind of impossible. And the only possibility, discipleship, serious following, a great turn. He's confronted with breaking news, Jesus is group of defiant Galileans, apparently, were killed in the temple precincts. Now, maybe the plan was rebellion, and the Roman soldiers caught it in time, and their blood, and this is the atrocity, their blood is mingled with their sacrifices. So the blood of lambs and goats is mingled with the actual blood of these Galileans, who somehow were feared to be terrorists. The Judeans probably thought that this was going way too far. This was sedition. And so Jesus says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than you? No. No, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. That's not where the audience would have thought he would have gone. And then he talks about these 18 people also probably breaking news. 18 people that had been killed in a building accident. The Tower of Siloam fell on them and killed them. Do you think that they were more guilty? You know, this bad things happen to bad people idea. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. This failure to repent before a holy God is worse than an atrocity and a tragedy. 
The greatest existential threat that you and I face is not terrorism, it's not cancer, it's not the death of a child. Those are hellish. But hell is the separation from God. We in our culture now have really begun to fear death, not fear the judgment of God. We are more into survival, I think, than we are into salvation. And Hollywood does that for us, too. It models and mirrors the culture. I don't think it directs the culture as much as it mirrors the culture. Yes, we don't live in a post-apocalyptic world, but in the words of Mad Max, life is reduced to an instinct. Survive. And there are survival tales in Hollywood. Tom Hanks in Castaway or Matt Damon in The Martian explore how one lone individual with luck and ingenuity can survive against the odds. In The Martian, Matt Damon is a NASA astronaut, botanist, who's left for dead by his crew, by the Mars mission crew, because they have to hastily abort and lift off to escape a storm. He's alive and he has to figure out how to stay alive until they can send a rescue mission. And in one scene, he needs to burn a small amount of jet fuel in order to get water, the condensation from the burn, in order to grow food. And the only thing he has on the spaceship that will burn is the Hispanic astronaut's crucifix that's left behind. And he burns that. Now, after the first service, someone said, you interpreted that kind of negatively, that the crucifix was kind of dispensable. The only thing that Christ's cross meant was kindling wood. But I thought Christ's cross, this person said after the 8 o'clock service, Christ's cross was there to provide what was needed in the moment. That's the difference between an Episcopalian interpretation and a Presbyterian interpretation. (laughs) But we seem to have a kind of flat, let's survive, let's make it, one day at a time. How different this is from the Robinson Crusoe, Daniel Defoe novel, set in the 18th century, where Robinson Crusoe comes to the end of himself to discover that he's something of a prodigal. That God's great love and goodness has been wasted on him. And he becomes repentant. And he comes upon these verses in in Acts where Peter is speaking to the Sanhedrin. And Peter is speaking of the prince, the savior of our Lord, who gives repentance. And Robinson Crusoe falls to his knees and says, Lord, give me this repentance. Now, this is really where Jesus begins, too, with the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And I think that for us as Christians, and there's so much repentance in your service, in your worship. 
But I think we could never tire of the reminder of the great turn. Not just being sorry for some sins or raking over our consciousness to see if there's anything now we ought to confess, but the fact that Christ has set us on a completely different course under his lordship, moving toward his kingdom work on earth as it is in heaven. C.S. Lewis argued that the, the deeper and more mature you became as a Christian, the more sensitive you became to your need for God's mercy. And how difficult it is to really, a life lived under his lordship, to fulfill without that kind of constant repentance. C.S. Lewis argued that it was indispensable to a real understanding of the Christian faith for all believers to detect the real inexcusable corruption under more and more of its complex disguises. I think the longer you go as a Christian, the more humble you become over your need for God's mercy. Robinson Crusoe dedicated his life then, no one was watching, but dedicated his life to the idea that I'm going to make sense out of God's mercy. Something that I picture when I think of the intractable nature of sin in my own life, on our property in Bloomington, Indiana, when we lived there and pastored Evangelical Community Church, our property was what was on a formerly a farm. And the chain link fence went back to the edge of our property, but about 10 to 15 feet in was just bush and trees and, and rough stuff. And I cleared it out so that our three kids could play in that area. But as I started to clear it out, I realized that the farm's barbed wire fence cut that in half. And so in order for our kids to play, I had to get the barbed wire fence out of there. And the trees and the shrubs and all of that had over decades grown up through that barbed wire. This is one of the reasons there's accidents in, in Indiana is because barbed wire gets embedded in those trees and you cut it with a chainsaw and it sometimes breaks the chain. It was hard work. And to me that remains an image of the need for God's mercy and grace dealing with the intractable nature of sin, systemic sin, personal sin in our lives. The longer Paul lived as an apostle, the more acutely aware he was of this dynamic. When he wrote to the Corinthians, he described himself as the least of the apostles. When he wrote 10 years later to the church at Ephesus, he described him as himself as less than the least of all the Lord's people. Less than the least of all the Lord's people. And then at the end of his life, when he wrote to Timothy, he said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Jesus follows up his repentance story with a little parable. Little parable that would mean much to anybody from Israel. There is a fig tree in a vineyard. Images of the promised land, images of the prophet dealing with vineyards, Isaiah 5, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. And the fig tree wasn't bearing any fruit. And the owner comes through and says, it's been three years that I've looked for fruit. Chop it down. 
It's taken up soil. And the gardener says, hey, let's give it another year. I'll fertilize it, I'll tend it, see what I can do with it. And that's where the story ends. The owner doesn't say, okay, I agree with you. It just ends there. Mercy on borrowed time. You and I really do need a life-changing, come-to-Jesus experience. That, I think, is what Lent is all about. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He knows that the wages of sin is death. But he's heading to Jerusalem to provide the gift of God, which is everlasting life. Let me close with the Apostle Paul's prayer. May our love, may our love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.